Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Finsterwald, Editor-at-Large of EdSource. Welcome, John. Pleasure to be here, Lewis, outside of California. Yes, well, this week we are bringing you a special podcast from the Education Writers Association National Seminar in Washington, D.C., We decided this was actually a chance to get an outside perspective on how California is doing in reforming its schools. And you might actually hear some jets in the background. These are planes taking off from Washington National Airport. John, you talked with a couple of national leaders to get their thoughts on California. Yes. First, I talked with Chris Minnick, who is executive director of the Council of Chief State School Officers Association. And Chris has a good read on what states are doing across the country in various areas and issues of education. Because he's looked at all these plans, right, that every state has to submit to the federal government under the Every Student Succeeds Act. That's right. Every state must submit a plan about how they're going to improve their schools and their new system of accountability. So I wanted to find out, how's California faring compared with many of the other states? And you asked him about this California school dashboard, this multicolored rating system that California has come up to rate schools on various measures. Yeah, he actually volunteered it. He's very aware of it and had some thoughts. Okay, let's hear what he has to say. Chris Minnick. California has done a lot of work. You know, they started with a lot of indicators and now they've gotten it down to fewer indicators on the dashboard. And they're really being trying to be clear with parents and schools about how their how their schools are doing. I think they're actually on the uh, multiple indicator side, they've been really aggressive in terms of the types of indicators that would uh, be used to, to demonstrate school success. So I think on that side, they're being really innovative. I think they'd admit that they still have work to do on the intervention side, meaning if a school doesn't grade as high or doesn't show on the dashboard to be as successful, what is this, what are the state and the county offices going to do about helping that school. So I think that's a piece of their plan that they're still working on. Well, the state as large as California, it's really hard for them to get a grasp over that. Any things that you've seen other states doing that might provide some kind of model for California to look at? Well, I mean, New York's thinking about some regional support. So I think thinking about the county offices in California as a asset and possibly using them to help some of the districts and schools, I think is really a, a potential possibility. But I think the real thing is that districts in California are going to have to own some of the low performance in their schools, and they're going to have to in- intervene in a more aggressive way than they have in the past. So in our low- lowest performing schools in the state of California, the most innovative stuff is about real on the ground support systems around schools, not you know just saying, hey, you're a failure and walking away, but saying, hey, we got to do better for these kids and we're going to provide a ton of support to you as you go. So thinking regionally might be something that California might want to look at. So much of California's plan seems to be a reaction to No Child Left Behind. Yeah, right. And so they have the scheme of con- what they call continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Beyond being a term, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, I think it's the every school can get better in some way. And this dashboard, I hope, highlights for schools where they can get better. That's the really innovative part of their plan is that they're going to give more information back to schools about how they're doing. And so I think that gives schools, you know, beyond the term, an actual opportunity to improve. Because, you know, we have some low-performing schools in the country, but the majority of our schools just want to get better. And that's what our accountability system should do. And so I think California is a real leader on that front. John, you also talked with Mike Petrilli, president of the Thomas Fordham Institute. He brings a pro-charter, pro-school choice perspective to the table. That's right. 
and also associated with the Hoover Institution at Stanford? That's right. He's a research fellow there. He had some pretty provocative things to say, I thought, about closing down public schools that aren't working. He also wasn't that happy or had some criticisms about California's rating system of schools based on multiple measures. Right. He's much less enamored than Chris with California's dashboard, and he really favors a single rating of a school. Well, let's hear what he has to say. Yes. Mike Petrilli from the Thomas Fordham Institute. As has been the case now for years, California is the outlier a big-time outlier. Most plans have a variety of indicators, and then they boil them down to some one summative rating or maybe a handful of ratings. Uh, the fact that California has this blizzard of data uh, and they have refused to boil it down to any kind of letter or number or number of stars or even words, any kind of rating that would say in a straightforward way to a parent or to taxpayers, this is a good school, this is a bad school, uh, that really makes them outside the norm. Now, this is allowable under this law. They have the flexibility, the freedom to do this. And it is my sense that the dashboard, this color-coded dashboard, has gotten better over time. It's gotten more understandable. But it still, I think, doesn't, in my view, go far enough to send a clear message to the most important constituents, the, the parents who send their kids to schools and the taxpayers who pay for them, about whether the school is doing enough, is, is doing a good job. But you said a little while ago in a seminar, you know, you were concerned that there may be systems that give you a rating, but that rating won't tell you like all poverty, high poverty yeah. schools in a state may be that and, it's, right. and therefore doesn't tell you much. I think California would argue perhaps it's, it's more inclined by measuring progress yeah. to do that. Yeah, look, I mean, the details matter a lot. I think uh, many states have continued to make the mistakes we made under No Child Left Behind, where we are putting a whole lot of weight on indicators that are very closely related to demographics, to prior achievement. And as a result, a high poverty school, even one that does a phenomenal job helping kids make progress over the course of the year, may end up with a pretty low grade. And that's a problem. So California has avoided that problem by not having a summative grade. Uh, at the same time, though, it does not allow parents to answer this question, hey, is my school doing well or not? I think what's going to happen as a result is that parents uh, and taxpayers are going to ignore the California dashboard, and they're just going to go to great schools or other sources, and they're going to get their information there. Mm -hmm. And so I, we, we need to keep that in mind. We're all obsessed about how the states are rating schools. They're not the only ones in this game. There are some nonprofit groups that are doing it as well. Uh, newspapers sometimes do it. I actually think in California's case, that's important. That's essential because I think parents are going to be frustrated to find the kind of information they really need from the state itself. Why is it that parents you don't give parents enough credit to be able to sort through Granted, colors may not be their way, but perhaps yeah. numbers for various indicators, but not a summative yeah. rating itself. Well, I, you know, look, if let, let's imagine you're a parent and you're looking for a school. Let's say you've got a, a child who's going to enter kindergarten. You live in a part of Los Angeles where there's a lot of school choice thanks to charter schools. And so you want to start your search by, you know, you've got 20 schools in, in your area that you could potentially send your child to. How do you even begin with these color codes? I guess, yes, you could print out all of these color-coded grades and put them on the floor and try to make sense of it. But that's pretty hard uh, versus some other places where you could simply say, okay, I want to see all of the five-star rated schools or four and five-star rated schools within two miles of me. Boom, there are four of them. Now let me look at those. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that uh, the California clearly did not design the system with parents in mind. They designed it as a school improvement tool for educators to sit down and 
look at information about how their school is performing and make it better. That's fine. I'm okay with them having a dashboard. I just wish they also had some kind of rating to go along with it. What advice can you give based on what you've seen in other states to California with 6 million kids, mm-hmm. almost 10,000 schools, on how to improve your mm-hmm. low-performing schools? It seems, yeah. you know, it's, it's like another country. Yeah, it is, it is like another country. And I think we need to be honest that we do not know how to improve low-performing schools. We're not very good at it. Now, look, there have been some initiatives that have been more successful than others, including some research out of, I believe it's San Francisco, uh, that the folks at PACE in California have found some positive effects from some turnaround efforts. So it's not that it is necessarily impossible. It's just pretty rare that we tackle a low-performing school and are able to turn it around. So let's look for those areas of success. Let's replicate them when we can. But let's also acknowledge that many failing dysfunctional schools are probably going to stay that way until and unless they are simply shut down. Now, is California going to have the will to do that? Maybe not. So then what do you do? In my view, you start as many other high-quality schools, and charter schooling is one way to do that, in those neighborhoods so that eventually if parents walk with their feet, vote with their feet, leave those low-performing schools, uh, they will have to go away because they're going to be uh, dramatically under-enrolled. I think that's the, I mean, that's what we've seen in other places around the country is the process, is that new schools get started, parents flock to those schools, eventually local school districts are forced to shut down schools because of low enrollment. Those are also the low-performing schools. It takes a while, but in the end, what it means is that kids are in better schools, and that is the goal. And how about the argument that it's not just achievement, but it's opportunity gap too, and it could be poor quality teachers in the school, matter of providing resources to those schools, well, look, that's fundamentally how you begin to address yeah. these Well, look, the theory with accountability in part is to put pressure not just on the school, but also on these local school systems, on the school districts, to get them to spend more money on their high-need schools, to get them to put better teachers in the tough schools, uh, you know, to, to make it less, less palatable for them to look the other way when these schools are not getting the resources they need. Now, there's also this issue about statewide resources and whether or not low-income districts are getting enough money. I think that's a legitimate conversation that we have to have. I think that's somewhat separate from accountability. I think California has made some progress, or at least there's been some efforts with the local control funding to try to push more money into high-poverty districts, and, and so that's good. At the end of the day, though, every school system in America is getting, you know, at least seven or eight or nine thousand dollars per child per year. I think it's fair to expect them to use that money to help kids make progress. And if there are schools out there where kids are not making any progress, then that is a problem. That is a system failure and we need to not be afraid to call it what it is. So do you think this moral imperative to do this has got to come from the states because it's probably not going to come from ESSA and Congress and the federal government? Well, right. It's not coming from Washington. No, this next phase of education reform is not going to be led by Washington. I personally think that's a good thing. I think that there was too much of federal micromanagement. And the problem with that is, is simply that the feds are too many steps removed from the classroom. You know, and so anything they try to do, it's like a game of telephone. Uh, you know, they tell the states and the states tell the districts and the districts tell the schools. And by the time it gets down to the classroom, your original intent uh, can be completely warped. So I think it's good that states are empowered. I think in a huge state like California, though, there's going to be limited ability for the state to do much. It means it's going to be the actions at the local level, local school districts uh, with public charter schools. And, uh, and it's, 
like anything else in life, it's going to come down to leaders, to people, to people in these systems deciding that they're going to tackle these problems. The accountability system is meant to nudge them and, and encourage them. And, uh, you know, we also need to remove barriers that they might have. California's been working on that. At the end of the day, it's going to be up to, to superintendents and principals and charter leaders to stand up and make it happen. That was Mike Petrilli, president of the Thomas Fordham Institute. There were a couple of things he said that really struck me. He was saying that this rating system that California has set up really wasn't designed for parents. I don't think that's what the state board of education had in mind. I mean, this is supposed to tell parents how their schools are doing. Well, it's a multiple purpose. It's also for districts when they want to improve their schools. So it's, you know, several reasons. And and Mike says it's not clear enough to parents. In fact, he said to the people in the audience, hey, if you're from California, come up, design your own single school rating. Your state needs it. Okay. Well, the other thing he said was, okay, if public schools aren't working, as defined by kids not succeeding in sufficient numbers or at a sufficiently high level, that we should shut them down. I don't think that's the approach California is taking. It is a potentially last resort after many, many years of working with schools through the counties and perhaps through the state to improve. That's a long time away. Yes. So I understand Linda Darling-Hammond, who's from the Learning Policy Institute, was also on this panel with Mike Petrilli and Chris Minnick. She didn't necessarily agree with what they had to say or with what uh, Mike Petrilli had to say. At least. Yeah, she largely disagreed with Mike's uh, prescription of widespread spreading of charter schools. And Linda said, no, the, what you need to do. She's a great defender of the, this vision that the California State Board is enacting. She said, what you need to do is work with the schools, go in and see that they have the resources, see that they have students have the opportunity to take courses and equitable distribution of teachers. These are the things you need to do first. But what's your takeaway from this? Where does California stand in terms of the national context here? I think it's it's doing its own thing very differently than many states, although all of them agreed that ultimately what states are going to do to intervene in the lowest performing school is a challenge for all states. And certainly California is wrestling with that, too. Okay, well, we didn't resolve all the issues, but that wraps it up for this week. I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fensterwall. This has been a special podcast from the Education Writers Association in Washington, D.C. Tune in next week when we will be back in California for more on these and other hot topics in education. Thanks for listening. <laughs>